Welcome to the Anchor Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help you grow in your walk with the Lord by an in-depth study of the Word of God. So grab your Bible and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with today's message. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to Genesis chapter 4. And we're going to continue the story of Cain where we left off several weeks ago. And we're going to look at Cain's wandering days. The title of today's message for us is to prevent or preventing wandering. And the reason I use that title is because that's exactly what Cain's going to do. He's going to go into a directionless life. He's going to leave the fellowship that he had with God. He's going to start a nomadic life. And in a lot of ways, what you want to learn from Cain's wanderings, and then he sets up his family after that, is that this wandering can happen not only to unbelievers, no doubt about that. We all understand as unbelievers, when we were once unbelievers, we were wandering as well. But the world is wandering, and they're aimlessly looking, but they can't see because they're blind and it's dark. But even believers, on another level, believers can wander as well. They can be saved. And that's the, the principle you want to take away from Cain, is that it doesn't just affect unbelievers, it affects believers as well. Guys, there are plenty of Christians sitting in churches who have been wandering for years. They wander aimlessly in their spiritual life. And what do I mean by that is they have no direction. They don't know the gifts that God has given them. They don't know where their niche is. They don't know their mission in life. They don't know how they fit into the body of Christ. And they don't know what to do a lot of times. And it, it's not simply because they're naive to it. They have intentionally decided to wander, just as Cain decides to wander. And what you'll see is he'll blame God for his wanderings. He'll blame God for his situation. And a lot of Christians, a lot of believers will blame God for their situation and then start wandering. They'll be saved, but their Christian life becomes totally ineffectual. They'll sit Sunday after Sunday, Bible study after Bible study, but simply doing nothing but wandering. And we're going to talk about the aspects of how to prevent that from happening. We don't want that to happen to any of us. And we want direction. We want to be on God's agenda. We want to be doing His work, His business. We want to be about our Father's business. And it's important to be on that agenda. Because if you're not on that agenda, you're missing what you were created for. You're missing why the Holy Spirit gifted you to do certain things. We'll see how He gets into this wandering, what led into it, and what can lead us into it so we can prevent it. As you recall... Just a review before we get into it, because it's been several weeks since we talked about this. Cain offers a sacrifice to the Lord out of his produce, out of his vegetables or whatnot, out of his labor. And what the Hebrew was indicating, that this, this habitual uh, offering of sacrifice was a blood sacrifice. They had, him and Abel had been doing it for some time, as the Hebrew indicates, and all of a sudden, Cain decides to do his own thing and offer what he thought God should accept from him. Now, this is in full knowledge, in full knowledge of what is expected, because God turns it back and says, hey, man, if you do right, you know what, you know, everything will be okay. 
to paraphrase. But he knows it's not right. And this is where a lot of Christians start going. When a Christian starts wandering, they decide that what they're offering to God should be accepted, even if it's not on God's agenda. And they'll spiritualize it and say, God led them to do this. God led them to do that. Have you ever dealt, dealt with somebody that spiritualizes their entire decision-making processes? You can't have a conversation with them. Everything is a shaft of light appeared in my room, and God led me to do X, Y, and Z. Well, what ends up happening is Christians then start offering to God what they want to offer him. And I'm not talking about salvation. Don't get, don't, let's put that aside. We'll save that conversation for unbelievers. We're talking about believers. Believers start getting their own agenda, building their own kingdoms, building their own so-called ministry of what they think they should be doing, and they decide to offer that to God. But then when other believers come around and say, what are you doing? That's not even on the agenda. Say, for instance, another believer is practicing the social gospel or, the, or social justice, which is not even on the agenda of the Great Commission. And you come to them and say, hey, what are you doing? They get mad and angry. Well, God should accept that I want to cure all diseases. God should accept that I'm working to solve illiteracy. And it's like, do you not understand? He gave us our marching orders. The marching orders is the Great Commission. We're supposed to evangelize and disciple. If you're not doing those two things, you're off mission. And a lot of Christians believe that whatever they decide to do should be acceptable. And then again, when you point that out to them, they get angry and mad. And that's where the Cain attitude starts coming from. The hatred, the spiritual jealousy, the spiritual envy of those who are on the agenda versus those who are not. And so that wandering starts. And they're just basically doing their own thing. And again, we'll show you how it gets into that. But again, the issue is, it's not out of ignorance. What Cain did was not out of ignorance. He knew full well what was going on. And so do believers. They know full well what the agenda is, and they simply don't want to be on the agenda. They won't, don't want to cooperate. And that puts them in a state of wandering. And believe it or not, there's whole denominations, guys, out there that are wandering. There's whole churches that are wandering because the pastor's wandering. He's off task. He's off the mark. Well, if the pastor's off the mark and a whole church is following him, guess what? All of those are wandering because they're off the mark. Like the health and wealth prosperity gospel or, or some of the other non-biblical movements like dominionism and new apostolic reformation or kingdom now theology. People think that they're actually building the kingdom now without Jesus. Guys, that person's off agenda. That person's off mission. They're on the wrong agenda. And we have to be cognizant of that because if you're on the wrong agenda, you're going to do the wrong things and you're just simply wandering. And here's where the, the, the rubber meets the road. When you and I are evaluated in our works in the, at the beam of seat of Christ, if you're off agenda, if you're off task, you will be presented, presenting wood, hay, and stubble to the Messiah, which will be burned up in your evaluation. Only 
gold, silver, precious stones will make it through the fire or the refinement of the evaluation of the Messiah at the Bema Seat. The only way you present the Messiah with gold, silver, and precious stones is if you're on task and you're doing what he told you to do. Other than that, you will be presenting an offering of Cain to the Messiah. I know that's a lot to absorb, but that's where I, that's the principle. And then now I want to show us, show and look at how did he get there? How did he get off task? Well, obviously he presented the wrong thing. Let's look at some of the scriptures prior to what we're going to get into, just as a recap to understand how did this flow? What happened after he presented the wrong thing that he got off of track? Well, he murdered his brother, and it starts in verse 10. And he said, what have you done? The Lord's questioning came. The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. And again, as this is a review. Out of spiritual envy, he kills his brother because Abel is doing the right thing. He's on task. He's on agenda. Those off agenda, what ends up happening is they become spiritually envious or jealous of those on task, of those obeying. Yeah. They actually get jealous of those obeying because God is accepting their obedience and their fellowship, and they're not being accepted in fellowship, so they get mad. And instead of correcting their issues, they just start attacking other people. And so he attacked Abel and killed him, just bloodthirsty at that point. That's how angry he became. Verse 11, so God's talking to him. So now you are cursed from the earth. Notice this, from the earth, not eternally. Most people think that Cain was an unbeliever. That's debatable. Some theologians believe he's a believer, but he's out of fellowship for the rest of his life. Is it possible for a believer to get out of fellowship for the rest of their life with the Lord? Absolutely. Ananias and Sapphira died out of fellowship. Some of the Corinth church died out of fellowship because they wouldn't get the Lord's Supper straightened out in their own personal lives. It is very possible for believers to get so far in wandering from the Lord that they die out of fellowship. It's very possible. doesn't mean they're not saved. It just means they have entered into darkness. They've started to wander, as you'll see. And by the way, we'll show you this. First John is what talks about this wandering that Cain did. It's all about believers wandering from the Lord. So again, it's debatable, but... This is not an eternal condemnation. It just says you are punished from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. What does this mean? It means that he lost his employment. It doesn't mean he's eternally condemned. He was a farmer. He's no longer to be a farmer. The very ground that he was supposed to work has now been cursed, and so his employment has been cursed. That's what God is saying. And so you have to make sure we are crystal clear about what God is doing and what God is taking away in the form of punishment from him. God never banishes Cain from his presence. God never says, get lost, get out of here. He never will tell that to Cain. Cain interprets the, the situation from that from his own perspective like that. But it's never God doing that. So God then says, as a result of losing your employment, 
this is what's going to happen to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. So basically, he's going to live a nomadic life. You're going to make your living from a nomadic life. I'm, I'm not allowing you to farm anymore. Okay, that's it. Verse 13, and Cain said to the Lord, again, my punishment, he says, is greater than I can bear. Notice he, Cain's attitude about this whole thing. He's off agenda. God points to, to him that he's off agenda. Then he kills his brother. And instead of asking for forgiveness, instead of repenting, instead of fixing this and getting back into fellowship with God, he goes into self-pity and says, you've punished me too hard. It's your fault. You've taken away my employment. You're being harsh to me. You can almost hear believers when they get called out a lot of times, hey, where is the grace? Where is the forgiveness? Where is the mercy? Especially when the consequences are bearing in on their lives because of what they're doing in their behavior. It's the same Cain mentality. In verse 14, he says, surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. Well, driven him out, yeah, you lost your employment, but no one's driving you away from God. I shall be hidden from your face, he says. That's not true. He doesn't have to be hidden from God's face. He still can fellowship with God. He still can come back to that altar and do the right thing. But see, this is how he conceives it. And this is what I want you to catch. When someone's off task and they have their own agenda, and that agenda gets rejected, they will blame the rejector that the rejecter should accept what they're offering. And God's saying, I'm not having that. And he said, well, you're the one that's, that's causing the division between us. He blames God for the division. When it's actually Cain that's in, tra- uh, uh, in charge of the division and causing it. But that's how people get. They will not self-evaluate when they start wandering They will not self-evaluate and say, it's me that's causing the problem. No, it's everyone else. It's God. It's the pastor. It's the ministry leader. It's my teacher. It's this. It's that. They will not put the burden on themselves. And that's what Cain's doing. He's blaming God for the whole thing. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. And, and And so that's true. But then he adds something to it. And it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. So basically, he's blaming God. You have put me in a situation that people are going to kill me. Isn't that ironic? He killed his brother, and he's worried about getting killed. How ironic is that? But the funny thing about it is, when someone is wandering, they will accuse others of the very thing they do. Russian collusion. Don't they say that about Trump? But what have we found out? They were running uranium through Obama. Obama had a uranium deal with the Russians. Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton tied into the Russians. They blame others for the very thing they do. That's a wanderer. I find that amazing that Cain does that to even God. They'll kill me and other people will kill me. See, what Cain is doing He's framing the world in the way he thinks. He thinks, I'm like this, so they will be like this. He's dead wrong. But that's what happens to a wanderer. They frame the world 
as they are, as they think. They become a God unto themselves in that sense. And so he's not seeing reality right. So the Lord corrects him and gives him a measure of grace and mercy, which he doesn't even deserve, but he does it anyway. And the Lord said to him, therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken upon him sevenfold. So perfect justice will happen if, if this happens, God says. I'll assure you of justice. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone find, uh, finding him should kill him. So God's saying, look, I'm going to correct you. People are not like you. This world's not going to turn into vigilanteism. I'm going to prevent that because I'm going to control the justice here. And so I'm going to give you a mark just to reassure you that uh, what you did was not, will not happen to you. It's an act of mercy, and it's part of his grace. And that's how God is all the way through this, even though Cain's accusing God of many things. Okay, so that, that's a review. That's a review. That's where we're at. And so now we enter into the scripture where he starts his wanderings. And this is important. This is what we want to learn, okay? And this is verse 16. So here we, here's where we pick up in the rest of the story. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. Now, let me explain that. God never sent him away. He decides as in the state that he's in, the spiritual state he's in, to start drifting from God. He's mad at God. He's mad at everyone else. He's accusing God falsely of other things. So when you set the world up like that, you remove yourself from God. It's funny how you'll watch this in believers' life. They'll start drifting slowly but surely, and you'll watch them drift away, start walking away. They'll have other preoccupations and other things going on in their life. They'll spiritualize it, saying, God led me to do X, Y, and Z. But what they're doing is drifting and covering up the drifting by spiritualizing it. I know that sometimes it's complicated, and I'm not asking you to see through it. I'm just telling you, watch their behavior. A wanderer is easy to spot. You know why? Don't listen to what they say. Watch what they do. They will wander. They will go away. You won't see them for weeks at church. You won't see them for weeks at Bible study. You won't see them for weeks in fellowship with other believers. They start drifting. And they'll blame everyone else. Cain blamed God, blamed everyone else. And these people will start blaming other people. Well, people just don't connect to me. People, hey, and I've told many of them, you have to be in the lane of traffic where the church is in order to connect. But if you're not in the lane of traffic when the church meets on Sunday or Wednesday night or a Bible study or wherever the church is at or the assembly, how can you expect people to connect to you when you're never here? Don't give, it, give me this idea no one wants to connect to me. But that's a wanderer. They've removed themselves from the body of Christ. And that's intentional. There's a reason behind it. They're ticked off at God. For some reason, they're mad. So he starts this morning. Now notice where he went. The land of Nod, east of Eden. So remember, we're not talking about the Garden of Eden is a locale. And then obviously the temple garden is there in Eden. So he goes east of Eden. And this place called the land of Nod, the funny thing about Nod, the word Nod in Hebrew means wandering. That's where we're getting the word wandering. It's the land of wandering. Moses is trying to communicate to you and I a message. He went there, but it's also symbolic of the spiritual state Cain is in. 
He's wandering. And whether Cain is a believer or an unbeliever, he's wandering. So he's in the land of Nod. And I want you to think about that. The majority of the world is in the land of Nod. Many believers are in the land of Nod. They're just wandering. They're not where they're supposed to be in the presence of the Lord. So he did this. So as you recall, uh, in the Garden of Eden, a cherub would guard the entrance to the temple garden. We talked about that. And this cherub prevented people from going in and having full access. And again, this is an early form of, of understanding the temple, the temple garden. And let me show you another picture of the temple garden uh, rudimentary. You remember, obviously, the tabernacle that Moses set up and then eventually the temple. Well, the garden temple was simply similar to that, but it simply had no walls and no roof. But it was in the same formation as the temple structure or the tabernacle structure. So basically, the idea is you don't have access now to the tree of life, but you have access to what would be the altar or the brazen altar of sacrifice. So the way it was back then is they would come to this temple garden. This is what Cain and Abel were doing continuously. And in front of the, in front of the tabernacle or the garden temple, they would do their sacrifices there in fellowship with the Lord. That's how the population did it. Okay, God doesn't banish him from this place Cain banishes himself because this is the place where you're going to have fellowship with God. This is the place where you bring your sacrifice and your offerings to the Lord, just as Moses uh, did and just as uh, in Solomon's day and uh, they had the temple. This is where you would go for your fellowship and you bring your offerings there. So Cain decides to jettison the place where only fellowship can happen. And he, he moves himself to the land of Nod. Let me show you a map. We theorize the Garden of Eden might even be here because the rabbis believe that the, the temple structure was actually Mount Moriah. They believe Adam was created on the Temple Mount, the rabbis do. Again, this is conjecture. We don't know. But the funny thing is, it says that he went east. He left the area where, if this is true, where the Garden Temple was, where you know, eventually the, the tabernacle and the temple were there. Um, it would make sense, and this is where the theory comes from, that he went into the Fertile Crescent. Because interesting enough, and you study ancient civilizations, all the ancient civilizations started right here. And so, again, you, you can't see it as a desert because the whole globe would have been you know, like a tropical jungle and, and vegetation everywhere. There, was no, there were no deserts or, or whatnot. And so he decides to make, possibly leave this area. Maybe the area was here. I don't know. And he goes to here. Now, the funny thing is, it says it's called the land of Nod, okay? In ancient civilizations, the, one of the first cities, we'll look at this next week, is Eridu. It's possible that Eridu was the first city that Cain made. As you'll see later in the text, he creates a city. He starts making cities. And this is funny because this is where it all started. Now notice, connection. When God decides to do a new work through Abraham, which you'll see, where does he call Abraham from? Where's Abraham at? Ur. 
And he brings Abraham up through the Fertile Crescent and then down into where it all started. So the promised land is always here. Every good thing happens here, but every bad thing goes east. Babylon will eventually be created here, right? In the Fertile Crescent between the Euphrates and the Tigris. There's a connection there. Nothing good, except for Abraham coming out of this, nothing good happens here. It's always bad stuff happening here. Eventually, prophetically, guess what? The Antichrist will make his headquarters right here. This area seems to have a lot of high demonic activity, a lot of evilness, and you can start tracing it all the way back to Cain. But anyway, that's what I want you to see. Okay, verse 17. Let's go back to the text. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. Let's explain this. Where did Cain get his wife? I thought it was just Adam and Eve and Abel and Cain. No, no. Uh, as you see in Genesis chapter 5, verse 4, Adam and Eve had more children. And they estimate, Henry Morris does, I think Henry Morris does, that there's an estimate of about 120,000 people at this time on planet Earth. And at this point, there's no incest laws. Incest laws don't get put into effect until 1500 B.C. with Moses and the Mosaic Law. So at this point, it's still permissible for a brother to marry a sister or a niece or a great-grandniece because incest laws were not, who else would he marry? He had to marry family. And this happened for a long time. Abraham married a half-sister. And so a lot of this was happening. And, and this would not have affected genetically the human population because the genetic mutations were not even available at this point in time. By 1500 BC, apparently, what we see from God is the genetic mutations are so bad, he has to infuse incest laws and stop it because it'll mess up the genetics of human beings at that point. But in, at this point, it's early stage, the genetic line hasn't mutated that would hurt the offspring. So, that's an easy question to ask, where did Cain get his wife? It's probably his sister, his niece, or a grandniece. And she conceived and bore Enoch. Notice the name Enoch. Enoch does not possess any hint of God's name in the boy's name. Like some people, like their, their name will, will say God does this, like Joshua, God saves, or like Danielle. Like you'll see names that end with E-L. Well, that's a tag on referring to Elohim or El, which refers to God. But Enoch has no hint of God's name in it. It tells you where Cain's at. Enoch in Hebrew is Hanuk, Hanuk. And it's a derivative of the same root in Hebrew as Hanukkah, which is the Feast of Dedication that happens in December for the Jews, Hanukkah. Enoch's name is a derivative of that, which means dedication in Hebrew, Hanuk. But the dedication is not to God. The dedication is to human ingenuity. It's a dedication to Cain. It's a dedication of humans living apart from God, humans in disfellowship with God. That's where it's going. It means that this dedication or commemoration with this new child, Enoch, means that I'm starting a different life, a life apart from God, a secular life. Are there many Christians that depart to start a new life away from God? Of course they do. They do it all the time. 
They don't go to church anymore. How many people have you talked to that says they're a Christian, but they don't go to church anymore? I do my own spiritual walk at home in my house. And that's more and more prevalent. People have their own spirituality. They never mix with the body of Christ. That's wrong. They have to be connected to the body of Christ. Otherwise, there's something wrong happening in their Christian walk. And so what starts happening is they start living alone a secular life. And that's what this naming of this child is doing. It's saying, I'm starting a new life without God. I'm just going to live a completely secular life at this point in time. Live worldly, basically, is the idea. And notice what it says. And he built a city. He built a city. And called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. So let's just leave that up there for a second. You think, what's wrong with building a city? Because he's doing it independently from God. God's not against cities per se, because Jerusalem is a city, the new Jerusalem in heaven is a city, right? But any city that's built without the foundation of honoring God is humanistic. And what you'll see is this constant theme of tent life versus city life all through the Old Testament. There's a contrast between the two. Even God decides to live in a tent does he not? Tent life represents that we are here temporarily, that we are here as pilgrims, typically. City life means I'm sinking my roots into this world. I'm going to make a name for myself in this world because this is all we have. And eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. There's no thought of eternity. There's no thought of the future. It's the here and now. I need to make as much money as I possibly can. I need to have as much toys as I possibly can and provide myself with enough security that I feel safe. And that's what he starts doing. And that's what Moses is trying to point out. There's, again, cities are neutral. It's how they're being used. And in this sense, Moses is making a point, a spiritual point, that this city is created in defiance of God. What did God tell him to do? You will be a nomad. You are to live in a tent, basically, for the rest of your life. You are to be a pilgrim to basically learn his lesson. So Cain takes upon himself to soften the punishment, soften the consequence of his decisions to leave God and to not be a wanderer, so therefore he sets his roots down in opposition to God to create a city. And what would he get out of this city? Well, he's going to get defense. It's surely defiance. He's going to get protection. A city represented security. It represented power because he's going to be in control. It's self-idealizing himself because he's naming it after his own kid. And eventually, he's going to centralize all commerce in this city, tax it, and have a central bank. And that right there will carry on to the Tower of Babel. And before you know it, a guy like Nimrod will say, I'll be in charge of the entire world. He will be the first Antichrist type of individual. But this is setting up the whole thing right now embryonically. And so this idea then, again, we'll go back to a map this city called Enoch, most people think it's Eridu. 
And you can go and Google this and look it up online and look at the ruins of Eridu. There's not much there other than sand, but there was a massive population there. And they believe it's one of the first cities in ancient Samaria, in ancient Mesopotamia. And maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but nonetheless, this is where the first cities start outcropping. This is Eridu recreated based off what they think it looked like. If that is, then perhaps you're looking at the city that Cain built, recreated. And these cities were massive. They were complex. They had running water. They had irrigation. They had everything. And they are very sophisticated. Folks, they are so sophisticated. That's why this whole ancient alien theory has made its way to TV because it's so sophisticated. They said, well, how could ancient man come up with these ideas? They don't understand. From the Bible's perspective, these people were geniuses. They, Adam and Eve used their full brain capacity. We're today only using 3%. Think about that. 3% versus 100% capacity. Cain's not a dummy. Don't think that he's a dummy. If he creates a city, this dude had engineering abilities that no one could match him today. And they created these, these magnificent cities in defiance to God, highly industrialized, and so much technology, they don't know how they got this technology. Pretty amazing. But nonetheless, this is what he did in defiance to God in his wandering days. Okay, that being the case, that being stated, let's go back to the principle. As a believer, how do I prevent this from happening? That I start wandering, I start creating my own agenda, and I start building my city, per se. And the reason he's building the city is for security. He's afraid of being attacked. So most of the cities in the ancient world had walls around them. And guaranteed, this city had a wall around it. So at, at the end of the day, what people will do once they start wandering, because they don't feel the security of God anymore, they will start building their life around their, their thinking of security, of what gives them security. And it's mainly, guess what? Money, power, position, in order to give them the security they should naturally get from God. And that's how the transfer starts happening. Let's do some application then. How do we prevent this? Well, Hebrews chapter 1 gives a warning about this. And I'm going to take you through some scriptures pretty rapidly right now. Hebrews chapter 12 says this. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. What is the race set before you? And again, it's not your own agenda. It's the agenda of the Messiah, the Great Commission, and all that entails in, in, involved in that, and how you fit into that agenda. That's the race you're supposed to be running. So right there, you already know you're on task you're supposed to be on mission with your life. Your life has to make a difference through the Great Commission. You can't be doing your own thing, okay? Why is wandering then so spiritually dangerous, Brandon? Again, let's go back to the Scriptures, and I'm going to rapidly go through this. Hebrews chapter 5 mentions this. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. The idea is this, when you start wandering, you actually go backwards in your Christian walk. You don't get to stay at the level that you made or got to, you actually walk backwards in your sanctification. 
I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about sanctification. And what happens is you start forgetting stuff. The principles that you learned goes bye-bye, and you actually start regressing in your walk, according to Hebrews. And watch what happens at the end. Verse 14, but solitude belongs to those who are full age, mature. That is, those by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. When you go backwards, you cease to be able to spot good and evil. You go blind. You can't see it. Why do you think so many Christians are accepting gay marriage? Why do you so many Christians accepting social justice? It's because they have regressed and they have now ceased to understand the difference between good and evil. That's the problem. That's why it's wandering is so dangerous. Let me show you another passage. 2 Peter 1, 5 through 9. But also for this reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. And this is all talking about spiritual maturity. To virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brother, kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, if, you, if you're maturing, not wandering, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the first thing is, you'll be fruitful if you keep doing this, but if you start wandering, you're going to become unfruitful. You're going to be barren. Continue on. For he who lacks these things, those who are wandering, not spiritually mature, is short-sighted, myopic in the Greek, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. The idea is that believers will blind themselves by starting to wander, by not maturing. And there's a lot of believers now, as you're noticing, that have been blinded. They can't see anymore spiritually. They're functioning in the world blind. And that's why it's so dangerous. This is why you're seeing the great apostasy happen, because this is happening. And what does this lead to, guys? Think about this. If you're spiritual blind, what do you think the devil's going to do with you? He's got you. You are like shooting fish in a barrel. He's, he's going to lead you astray. This is how the devil leads people astray. And what does he do? This leads to divorce. This leads to broken relationships. It leads to fights. It leads to church splits. It, it leads to people becoming hostile to other believers. It leads to people losing rewards, temporal blessings, and sometimes a shortened physical life because the devil starts leading them astray. Okay, question. Now let's get to the bare bones. This is direct application. First John explains how this all starts and where it ends up. How does it start? What starts me wandering away from the Lord? First, disobedience. Is it that simple? Yeah, it's that simple. Somebody in their life does not want to obey. Think about Cain. What did he not want to do? He did not want to give a blood sacrifice. He'd rather give an offering that wasn't prescribed. So the first thing is disobedience. Look what 1 John says about this. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, uh, this is talking to believers, not unbelievers, by the way. 1 John is about believers. We lie, we meaning believers, and do not practice the truth. So the first stair step in, in this this wandering is, I just decide in my own personal life, 
I'm not going to practice the truth in this area or category of my life. Whatever it is, I'm just not going to do it. I don't care what God says. I don't care what other believers say. I'm going to do my own thing. Be careful. Be careful. You are starting down the path of wandering. What happens after that? Well, self-deception. Again, look what the Scriptures say about self-deception. First John will talk about it. If we say we have no sin... The person says, I'm not doing anything wrong. Like Cain, I'm not doing anything wrong. We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us, not working in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So you basically, the person stops confessing because they don't think they're doing anything wrong. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. It's not working in us. So we make God a liar. What did Cain do to God? He made him a liar. And because he's starting to become self-deceived. So that starts the process. Okay, I, I, I got that. Well, when that starts happening, folks, a believer is going down a path that's hard to get them back because they're in self-deception. And self-deception is the hardest thing to get a believer out of. Look how hard it is to get an unbeliever out of self-deception and self telling them what they want to hear. Okay, what's the next step then? John points this out. This self-deception leads to hatred, and this hatred leads to the spiritual blindness of things. Look what he says about this. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother, like Cain hated his brother, is in darkness until now. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going. This is the wandering First John is explaining what happened to Cain because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Now, wait a second. This is for believers. This is not unbelievers. He's not talking to unbelievers. He's talking we brethren. It is very possible that when you become self-deceived, like Cain did, what did he do? He instantly hated Abel. He hated him for doing right. The first thing you will notice with a wanderer, they will hate those who are doing right. It convicts them too much. They hate that. And so it says, if you hate your brother, which happens a lot, you're not in the light, the light you're in darkness, and you've blinded your eyes. And this is where it goes. Now, with, with that being said, this person now is at the point of being a useful idiot for Satan. Okay? And I use that in a historical way. A useful idiot it was the communists were using people that didn't know they were being used. They became a useful idiot to the communists. Spiritually speaking, any believer who blinds themselves because they want to do their own agenda are useful idiots because Satan is going to take control of that person and use them against other believers. And what did he use Cain against Abel for? To kill him. Do you remember Abel was a prophet? So the devil used Cain to kill a prophet. Watch, it starts manifesting. You don't get to stay in just wandering around. The devil will use you against other believers. This is the, the next point we want to see in 1 John. Spiritual jealousy and hatred eventually manifests itself. It comes out of the person. 
Let's look at the text. This is in 1 John. This is in chapter 3, I believe. In this, the children of God, again, this is all referring to believers. The children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. What it means by children of God and children of devil is those who are doing the works of God or versus those who are doing the works of the devil. A believer can do the works of the devil and not even know it. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. And notice the context, brother. The whole context is with believers among believers, not unbelievers. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not, and here's where the idea of Cain comes in, not as Cain, who was a, of, of the wicked one, which means that when he connects it to the wicked one, Satan, he, John is saying that what Cain did was inspired by Satan to kill Abel. He was being used as a useful idiot against him and murdered his brother. And he continues on. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil. Cain's were. He was offering things that were evil, not prescribed. And his brothers were righteous. This is where the spiritual entity comes from. So guys, here's what happens. A wanderer becomes dangerous to the body of Christ. They will start attacking other believers and trying to take them down. This is why church splits happen. This is why pastors are attacked. This is why leadership is attacked. This is why teachers are attacked. Because somebody doesn't want to get their act straight. And so they must go on the rampage towards those who are. And they start attacking. Wanderers are the most dangerous people in congregations. They sit there after Sunday, after Sunday, Bible study after Bible study, but eventually their bitterness and their anger will be used against other Christians. I just got done, like, I, like Marcy mentioned, about doing this prophecy derangement syndrome. Do you understand for us holding a pre-trib rapture, a seven-year tribulation, and a literal thousand-year kingdom, you and I are being demonized by the majority of Christians out there, that we're some tinfoil hat brigade, that we're nuts, that we're escapists, and they're attacking you and I for being unbiblical, they say, for being divisive. To being hate mongers. Do you know they blame the Middle East on you and I? Because we're pro-Israel? Did you know that? How does that make you feel? Another brother or sister attacking you and I, which they should just simply say, we agree to disagree. But no, they demonize you. We call this monsterizing. And I'm sure Cain did it of Abel. It doesn't say, but I'm sure he did because this is what happens. When other believers don't like other believers, they monsterize them or demonize them. And the monster is a monster that we have to contain. It's not a human being anymore. It's Godzilla. Uh, it's the wicked witch of the West, you know. It's that guy. That's, that's who I'm after. This guy has to be stopped. Let's bring out the torches and pitchforks because this other believer has turned into this. Or if it's a she, she's turned into this. She's a witch. We have to stop her. 
You see what I'm saying? And then they will mount the charge against Godzilla or the Wicked Witch of the West. And why do they do that? For the same reasons Cain did. The same reasons. To feel justified in the way they feel. Their spiritual envy, their spiritual jealousy for those who are doing the right thing and serving God they actually attack. And these are other believers because they're off agenda. Man, that's sick, Brandon. Yeah, I know. But why do you think there's so many corrections in the New Testament in the letters to the churches about people doing this to each other? Why would there be an admonition, hey, quit hating your brother? You think, oh, believers would hate each other? Absolutely. Absolutely, especially if you're doing marriage counseling. Oh, you'll see it there. They hate their spouse. That's the biggest monster they've ever seen. Right? It happens all the time. Okay. What is the solution? What is the solution? By the way, the scriptures give you a solution. Let me show you the solution. The solution is, how do we get out of the spiritual wandering? Simple. Watch this scripture. It's 1 John. 1 John takes us all the way through it. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. You can't say, me and Jesus are tight but I hate my spouse. You can't say that. You can't say you hate another believer and say you and Jesus are in fellowship. That's crazy talk. You're lying to yourself because you're self-deceived. And he says, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah is born of God. Okay. And everyone who loves him, who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. Talking about other believers. Now, here's the key, for it, the key scripture to the solution. I want you to note this to prevent wandering. By this, we know that we love God. We love the children of God. How, how do I know I love my brother? When, when we love God and what? Keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. What did Cain do? He disobeyed the commandment to bring a blood sacrifice, did he not? So what started the whole thing off is someone saying, I don't want to do it. Scripture says, don't become unequally yoked. But many of our Christian young people become unequally yoked. What are they telling you? With their behavior. I don't want to obey that commandment. I think I know better. And God should accept my new relationship with this unbeliever. And if he doesn't, I'm mad at God, and I'm mad at all the Christians who point this out to me. Right? That's how it works. And, and pick any sin you want. It starts with someone saying, I'm going to do my own thing. But if you want to show love to somebody... By the way, the word is agape in the Greek. It has nothing to do with emotion. Hey, let's go sit down and have coffee and connect. That, that's not what it's talking about. 
That's connection on a phileo level. Agape is completely different. It's unemotional. Agape is an unemotional love that God has for us. Not that love's that emotion's not there, but it's secondary to agape. Agape seeks the highest good for the individual by ministering to them, by giving them grace and mercy. That's how you love other people. It's not this gushy, emotional thing like Eros or Philadelphia could be. Agape is completely different. It's devoid many times of emotion because God will say, agape your enemies. And to to agape your enemies, the emotions are not there. I guarantee you the emotions won't be there. But it says, act in their behalf. Act for the best for them. So, Here's the thing. Here's the application. In order to prevent wandering, I simply need to obey. And I need to obey the agenda. And when I obey the agenda, I actually automatically will love my brethren. Because I'm obeying. If I obey, I will exude love towards other people. Now, I may not be this emotional, gushing forth individual, but if I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, and it actually exudes the kind of agape I'm supposed to be giving other people. Huh. Is it that simple? Yeah, it's that simple. Let me show you this guy and end on this. This will blow your mind. This guy's in El Salvador. His name is Santiago Sanchez. He's 69 years old. He's in El Salvador. So if you go with Steve Kern and on a mission trip, you might be able to see this guy. He claims that God led him to dig a hole for the last 18 years. That God actually led him to dig a hole. This is what this guy does every day. He gets up at 3 in the morning, he takes his shovel, and he shovels in this hole that he's been digging for for 18 years, a hole. And he comes out with about 90 pounds of dirt and rocks every day and then goes home to his wife and acts like nothing's happened. And his wife and him totally spiritualize what he's doing. They say, this is from God. And they say, when God calls you to do something, you just do it, even if it doesn't make sense. Oh, no, you don't. That's crazy. Digging a hole for 18 years, that's wood, hay, and stubble. You're off task. You're off agenda. Because how is this guy evangelizing? He's not. How is this guy discipling? He's not. How is this guy growing? He's not. So how can you tell me that God led you to dig a hole for 18 years? What you're seeing with this individual, if he believes in God or whether he's not, he is a wanderer. He is not on task. I use that as an example. Uh, That's an extreme example. But guys, Christians get into wandering all the time. And it simply comes back to this. Will you obey? Thanks for downloading the Anchor Podcast. We hope this study was a blessing to you. Support for this podcast comes from your generous gifts and donations. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website, rockharborchurch.net. Also, check out our YouTube channel, Rock Harbor Church Prophecy Update, where we focus on signs of the times 
and present a wide range of sermons and discipleship lessons. So until next time, keep looking up, for our redemption draws near.